So again, this morning, church, we continue in our series, Understanding the Gospel. And as we do so, again, one of the verses we get to cover this morning is that famous John 3, 16. And our goal this morning, as we get to look at such a verse, is pretty simple. It's not only to understand this verse of John 3.16, maybe a little bit more, but especially because of the context it's in, meaning the whole paragraph surrounding John 3.16 in God's word, our goal is hopefully to, to leave here this morning appreciating and loving John 3.16, maybe more, but also hopefully loving this whole paragraph that you just heard in God's word. Because really, as I hope you will see, this whole paragraph in which John 3.16 occurs truly sheds a ton of light on the gospel of Jesus, and it's even pretty encouraging as well. And in fact, if you remember and you were here last week, we already started to see this a little bit last week together because last week we were mainly in Numbers 21 in the Old Testament with that story of how God strangely had there be this copper snake made by Moses to be lifted up and to represent sin that the people were to look at and live. And we saw last week that that was always supposed to be a representation of Jesus. But not only that, but we also saw last week in John 3, 14 and 15 that Jesus became the copper snake for us. But then we have to ask the question of why, and that actually leads us to John 3, 16. Because remember, John 3, 16 starts with the word for, or because, because the idea is for God loved, so loved the world that he sent his only son to become the copper snake for the world and for us. And so that was last week in the context right before John 3.16. And that now though leads us to, again, what's going to come after it. And so for this morning, we're going through John 3.16 through verse 21. And quickly, as for our outline, if this helps you, for how we're going to go through these verses. We're going to go verse by verse, as we usually do. And as we do so, we're going to have three sections asking three questions. Three sections asking three questions. First, we're going to be in verses 16 through 18. And there, we're going to begin by asking the most basic question of this paragraph. And that's, why did the Father send the Son into the world? And on that, you probably already know some answers that we're going to see here, but there may be an answer that you might not know or is less talked about. And so we'll ask that first, because that's verses 16 through 18, which then second will lead us to verses 19 through 20. And there we'll ask, and so God sent his son into the world, but concerning you and I receiving what God did, why are we actually in a worse off position than we usually realize? Or to say it another way, following the analogy we're going to see in the text, we'll be asking, in us receiving and believing what God did, why is our situation darker than we realize? And so that'll be second, which then third and finally will lead us to finish the paragraph just in verse 21. And there we'll ask, okay, with God doing what he did and our situation being darker, so what then is our hope? What's our hope? And for that, you might be a little surprised. We won't get into it yet, but just so you know, you might be a little surprised at what this paragraph, which starts in John 3.16, says at the end. But we'll talk more about that later. But anyway, so that's our roadmap where we're going together, church. In summary, first, why did God the Father send his son into the world? Second, why is our situation darker than we think in receiving that? And then third, and finally, and what then is our hope? All the goal of leaving here and hopefully loving and trusting God because of his word more. But all said, churches, and dive in together and begin our first section. Here again, 16 through 18, asking, why did the Father send his Son into the world? For this, we're going to take these verses in two steps, and we'll start with just the famous 
John 3.16. So you probably already know this verse, you might, but look down to your Bibles to see it in God's word. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so in answer to why did the Father send his Son into the world, we have three main answers actually in this first section of ours. Two in this first verse and one in the next couple of verses to come. So three answers as to why God sent his Son. And answer number one is something that's first off just so clear here about God. About God. And what is it? Well, it's in that, in reality, we need to know this, the living God decided to accomplish the gospel, meaning he decided to send his son, and he decided to come into our world out of love. Right? Out of love. And specifically, he did that because he had, and he still has, love for this world. For the world. That's why. And I know, sitting in here this morning, we probably all know that about God. The church, really, it is so important for us to deeply get that first, especially before we talk about any of the other answers, because you and I truly need to understand and feel that in reality, behind all that we can ever talk about concerning our world and the gospel or things like salvation and forgiveness, or even you and me, behind all of that really is love. And not just some generic Love, but love which originated in God and forever past. Because really, that's why we and the whole world loves love. And that's why love exists. Because God, behind everything, he is love. And that means first, that there's always been a strong love. In reality, that the father has had for his son. And that the son has had for his father. And the spirit between them. And that Trinitarian, true, eternal love within God is the foundation of all of reality. And it does come up a lot later in this Gospel of John. And so that's true. But then also, the loving, living God, Father, Son, Spirit, in him there has also always been a love for his created world. A love which includes him loving you and me. And again, the point is, I know we know that, but one last time, we we do need to realize that first, concerning why God did what he did, Well, it's ultimately because we have, the the universe truly has a God who has such love within himself and for this world, right? And so that's answer number one to why God has sent his son. And it is amazing that the one and only God is actually like that. But famously, that's not all John 3.16 says, because moving on though, specifically, you know this. As you can see, the further point here is that, yes, so God loved the world, but specifically, He so loved the world, meaning just so you know, not so like so much here, although that is true, but instead this Greek word actually means thus or in a certain way. And therefore the point is God in his love, he loved the world in a specific way. In what way was that? Well, in that he gave his only son. Right? His precious, only begotten, beloved son, but still why? Well, you know it. The second answer is, quote, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And again, that's answer number two to why God did what he did. Think about it. Number one, God has love in himself for this world. And so he sends his son. And now we know number two, and he does that for a purpose. And so that's that in this world of his, for individuals who trust in his sent son, for whoever trusts in Jesus, they will go from perishing forever to having eternal life. 
Meaning, let's just be really clear, not just existing forever, but having true life as we were always designed to have forever. And the point is, church, in reality, in love, God wanted that and he wants that for people. And therefore, he sent a son. That's God. And so those are the first two reasons for why God did what he did. And finally, that leads us to our third and last reason. And this will now be in the lesser known verses 17 and 18, which come right after John 3.16. So look at those now. So God sent Jesus out of love for eternal life. But what else? 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So on those verses, we clearly see a third reason, a third answer as to why God, has, God sent his Son into the world. And what is it? Well, it has two halves to it in a way, two halves. The first is stated obviously in verse 17, and, and it's in a way sort of a repetition of John 3.16. It's that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to save the world. Meaning Jesus came in history in his life, death, and resurrection not to condemn but to save. But that's only, that's only half of the reason. And as a quick side note, just for everyone in here, just so you know, this here in John 3.16 and 17 and then John 3.18, this is such a great example just of how you and I must be so careful to not just quote individual Bible verses and ignore the context of what God's word is actually saying. Because I want you to know, to be honest, I have heard people literally quote John 3.16 and especially John 3.17 here about how God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save the world, which is true. But then they use that to teach that, look, that means the Bible doesn't want us to talk about condemnation and judgment. Instead, God just loves and Jesus came only to save out of love. And in short, the idea then becomes, and so if you use the name of Jesus to talk about sin and judgment or any condemnation, that's not of God. You can see that logic. But please, if, if you if, hear me out, if you're convinced by that at all, just notice, God's word here is not meaning that. Rather, notice for yourself, see this for yourself. The reason why God did not send his son in history to condemn the world but to save is because look again at verse 18. Verse 18, whoever believes in him and Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see that? In other words, it's not that there's no such thing as deserved judgment and condemnation due to our sin according to God's word. Rather, the picture very clearly in these verses is this. You and I and the world, apart from knowing Jesus, we're condemned already. Meaning, because of our sin, we're under the right judgment of God already. Or quickly, if you just want to skim your eyes to John 3.36, the last verse in this famous chapter of John 3, you can see God's word says there even strong, more strongly, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's just God's word. And so the Bible is so clear. The whole world, including you and me, apart from knowing Jesus, the world is condemned already. And that's, and that's a huge idea because it means, yes, there is a, there is a final judgment coming where, 
all the sin in the universe and what we each deserve will become even more plain. And, and on that day, the judgment that you and I deserve will either fall on us or it will have shown to already have fallen on Jesus' cross. And so that day is coming, but then also from the biblical perspective, humanity and this world and you and I on our own, we're not natural or neutral in God's courtroom. Even right now. Instead, it's very clear, in our sin, apart from Jesus, we're condemned already. But then also, on the other hand, if we do believe in Jesus, we right now are not condemned. And so all that said, that's, again, the third answer as to why God sent his son into the world. In short, it's because God knew that in our sin, we were in our deserved already condemnation. And so Jesus comes not to further condemn us, we're already condemned, but in, in order that the world might be saved through him. Because you think about it, salvation is basically just what we need in our condemnation. And so church, that's verses 16 through 18 here. And in basic, that's the main reasons why Jesus was sent. Out of love to save us from our condemnation. Which means, of course, that for you and me, the application of all that is okay. So that's God's heart. That's God's purpose and the good news of what he did in history. And that's why he did it. That's why we need it. And the application then is clear. We are to receive what God did by believing Jesus. By believing Jesus. It's that simple. We don't do anything to coerce God nor to deserve what God did. Instead, we believe and receive what God did. And quickly, on this idea of believing and receiving, well, first, we use that word believe because it's the most famous word in the Bible that it uses, like here in John 3.16 and elsewhere. And, and we should keep using it. And yet, honestly, I just do think that another word we could use, perhaps, is receive a lot more as well. That's another word the Bible uses a lot, even in the book of John. And quickly, I do think it's helpful just for you and I to consider that because let's just be really clear. Believing in the Bible, like here in John 3.16, is not just, just intellectually believing something is true or that it exists. Instead, as people who have studied the Bible for many, many years have said over and over, true biblical belief has really three components to it. Three components. Number one, understanding something about God. And then number two, obviously agreeing with that something about God. But then also number three, biblical belief always includes a trusting, a relying on God. That's, that's believing and in a way, that's why receiving Jesus might be often a better term for you and I in English to perhaps use more commonly than just belief, or at least to describe belief, because God's word does elsewhere. Because let's just be honest, when we hear believe, like in places like John 3.16, we may be tempted to think, so someone just needs to believe that Jesus exists, or that God exists. But I want you to know that is not what the biblical word belief ever means. Rather, true belief is taking all of this about God, about Jesus, about what he did out of love, like becoming the copper snake for us that we talked about last week, and belief is receiving that personally. Belief is relying on that personally. That's faith. And one last time, the point of these verses is that that is what you and I must personally do in response to what God did. Which, as most of us in here know, in basic, that, that's the gospel. <laughs> and that's why John 3.16 is as rightly famous as it is. God did what he did out of love for salvation for us who are already condemned. And we simply receive and believe. But, importantly, the passage doesn't end there. <laughs> it, it could have, in a sense, and it would have been a neat, clean ending in a way if it did, but God in his word wants us to know a little more about what's really going on with this gospel. 
So that was our first section, why God sent his son. But now we'll move on to our second section. And now here again, we're asking, okay, so God sent his son and accomplished the gospel in history, and we're just to believe. But now, concerning us receiving and believing what God did, why are we actually often, or why are we actually in a worse situation than we sometimes realize? Or again, to use the analogy you're about to hear, why is our situation in trying to believe the gospel darker than we realize? And, and quickly, just slowing down for a second, think about it. It is really interesting that God includes what we're about to read in these verses right after the clear gospel in John 3, 16 through 18. And this is really important for us to come to grips with because we can hear that beautiful so that whoever believes in him may not perish and have eternal life. We can hear that and maybe be tempted to sort of become a little confident about ourselves. Right? Right? Meaning we can subtly start to think, man, I've got this because all I need to do is believe. Or they've got this because all they need to do is believe. It's that easy. And of course, it is true that believing, in a sense, is easy. It's simple. It's not earning or deserving any of this from God. But then also... In another important sense, even in our belief, we're desperately in need of the same God and his grace. In short, that's what we're all about to see in the Bible here. But that's it. Let's just dive into these verses. So for this, now we're in verses 19 and 20. It's going to take him one at a time. So start in just verse 19. So God really loved the world. He accomplished the gospel. We're to believe it. But, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. <laughs> so notice, this verse almost confusingly and awkwardly starts with that. And this is the judgment. And in basic, the reason for that is because the logic of this paragraph now is, okay, so God accomplished the gospel in Jesus. We are to receive it by faith. And yet, here is the judgment. Here is the verdict. Here is the state in which things are in the world. And what is it? Well, you can see it. The verdict, the state of which things are in the world is that, yes, the light has come into the world. Meaning that is a reference to Jesus' coming, to God sending his son. And so the light has come. But, quote, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And is that, brothers and sisters, that is so important for you and me to come to grips with and to understand concerning this whole paragraph and even the gospel of Jesus. Because think about it. So this famous paragraph begins with, with love. Right? God so loved the world that he sent his son for the salvation of the world. Amen and amen. That's our God. That is the gospel. But now here, God's word starts to tell us more about us. And on us, we already know we're perishing on our own. We deserve to perish. We're condemned already. But now, we also know that concerning our receiving of the gospel, yes, Jesus the light has come in history. He has. But for us, naturally, we do not love him. We love the darkness. And why? Well, because our works are evil. Meaning, that's just what it says. Jesus has come and accomplished the gospel, but we don't love him because we more so just kind of like to do the opposite of him all the time. That's the point. Because to be clear, this, this word evil is not in the Bible only talking about extreme sins. We hear it that way. Rather, this is just a way of talking about sin in general. Just a different way, a stronger way in some senses. And so, you and I, naturally, we, we do evil, that's true. But our evil, as we see here, it isn't just a doing problem. Rather, we do evil because we have a heart problem. We as human beings, naturally, apart from Christ, love darkness. 
It's anti-God. That's the bent of our hearts. And quickly, that is supposed to remind us of John 3.16, I think, as well. Because just to be super clear here, it is the same exact word love here in verse 19 about us as is used about God in verse 16 about him loving the world. So consider this. So God loves the world, but we love the darkness. (laughs) Meaning, the light has come because of God's love, but we don't want anything to do with the light because of our love. (laughs) You see that? Our love for darkness. And and so that's verse 19. And as you can start to see, that then means that in our receiving and believing the gospel, in our coming to that light, we've kind of got a problem. And that's then explained even further in verse 20. So now look there, verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so now this, honestly, is even more broad and perhaps even more drastic than even verse 19. Because we might read verse 19 and think, well, that loving the darkness is just for really bad, evil people. But that's not true. Because now God's word adds clearly here in verse 20, quote, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. (laughs) And so this this is everyone. Because the Bible is clear. We all do wicked or sinful things in our lives. And therefore, you can see it. It's not from me. It's from God and his word. He's telling you and me clearly that as those who sin, we naturally hate the light. We don't like it. Meaning Jesus, the light has come, remember. And to anyone who comes to him, they will receive eternal life. And yet on our own, verse 19, we love the darkness. Which means, verse 20, we hate the light. And look, just see this for yourself. That really does matter concerning our receiving and believing the gospel. Because notice, God in his word is so clear to show us that it's not just that we hate the light, but even adds here that, quote, we do not come to the light in verse 20. You can see that. We will not come to the light. And that's so crucial for you and I to think about because in God's word, coming to the light is just another term for, or coming to Jesus, just another term for believing in Jesus. And we know this because this happens throughout the Gospel of John. For example, like Jesus stands up in John 7 and he he uses the same exact word when he invites people to believe in him when he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come, same verb, to me and drink. And so believing in Jesus is coming to Jesus. Believing in Jesus is coming to the light. And yet here again, now we know from verse 20 that naturally all of us don't like the light, hate the light, will not come to the light. Meaning on our own. This is God's word. We will not come to Jesus. Even though Jesus has come to us, we will not come to him. Which finally in verse 20 leads to the last phrase, quote, lest his work should be exposed. And that finally there just gives us one of the reasons why we're like this. And there's many reasons, right? Like for example, we're like this because we just don't want God in his ways naturally. We're like this because we like our ways a lot better. But now we also see, and in our sin, we are like this because we know if we were to really get to know God, we'd see more and more how messed up we truly are. And we'd perhaps feel exposed in our guilt and our shame. And so we'll do anything it takes to make us feel that, you know what, I'm, I'm fine. And so all that said, church, I know that might seem like a downer, but that is clearly verses 19 and 20. And and really, I I know I keep saying this, but I hope you saw that mainly for yourself in God's word. Because that's what God, not me, that is what God in his word includes in the very middle of this paragraph that starts with the famous John 3.16. 
And he did so not to mainly be a downer, but because this, this is true, because John 3.16 is true, meaning God has amazingly accomplished the gospel of Jesus to be received by faith alone. But then also these verses are true as well, meaning yes, concerning the world, which includes all of us naturally. Jesus has come, but we love the darkness. We do not want the light. We will not come to the light. In other words, man, we are bent the wrong way when it comes to receiving this gospel that God has accomplished. And for you and me, quickly, we all need to feel that. All of us. That, that's why these verses exist. And that applies first to those of us who are here who are Christians by God's grace the, because this means that we should all just right now realize that this was us before ever knowing Jesus. We loved the darkness, however that manifests in our lives. We hated the light. We didn't want the light. We would never have come to Jesus on our own. But then second, and I know this might sound a little strange, but second, this also means that if you were here and you are not a Christian, we're so glad you're with us, but you should honestly feel this as well. You should know that naturally there's nothing in you, just like there was not, nothing in any of us who are here who are Christians, there's nothing in you that naturally wants to come to Jesus. And it's all because one last time for all of us, really this is the judgment. This is the way that things are in our broken world with our sinful hearts. The gospel has been accomplished in history by the Son of God. The gospel has really happened to receive by faith alone, but we on our own, we don't want it. <laughs> Which, in a way, really leaves us dangling here in the middle of this passage. But that's why the passage does not end there. And all that then finally leads us to our third and last section, our third and last section for this. Now we're going to be in verse 21. And again here we're finally asking, and so what's then our hope? What's our hope? And on this question, I'm assuming for maybe some of you in here, when I first gave the outline at the, at the beginning of this whole message, perhaps some of you heard that question of what's then our hope, and you maybe just sort of assumed that the answer would be, well, to believe in Jesus. But now... After seeing verses 19 and 20, I hope you're seeing that question, this question actually must go a little deeper than that. Because yes, we need to believe in Jesus, but now we've already been told that we will not believe in Jesus on our own. And so believing and deciding to come to Jesus on our own itself cannot be our hope. And it isn't. Instead, what's our hope? Well, now let's just read verse 21. And just as a quick note, this at verse sounds a little confusing at first, but once we understand it, it makes a lot of sense as to why this is the concluding verse of this paragraph. So all that said, God accomplished the gospel. We're darker than we think. We will not come to the light. What's our hope? Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this verse gives us the ultimate answer to what's going on with any individual who once loved the darkness and hated the light, that's all of us, but then someone who actually does come to the light. Meaning it's telling us what's ultimately going on with any genuine Christian. And it does so in a way that, again, it's a little confusing, but once it's understood, it makes so much sense. Because to notice, to break this verse down, Notice the first half of this verse follows up everyone from the previous verses loving the darkness by saying, but whoever does or practices the, what's true comes to the light. And the point on that, just stick with me here, the point on that is that so there are some individuals who come to the light, right? There, there's some people who continue to come to the light. That's why that verb is comes is in the present tense, just so you know. And there are also those who do the truth. 
That's, that's the connection there. And on that, importantly, notice the Bible doesn't say here that we first come to the light by doing the truth. Instead, the first line there, verse 21, just literally is getting at that those who do what's true, anyone who does what's true, is also someone who comes and is coming to the light. And so that's the first half here. And we read that. And in a sense, now we know, okay, so some people do come to the light and they're those who do love the gospel and they're those who do what's true. But technically and grammatically there, that still doesn't answer the question of how anyone first comes to the light. How anyone changes from being someone who loves the darkness and hates the light to someone who comes to the light in verse 21. How, how can that happen? Or to use our question that we're asking, since we love the darkness, which keeps us from coming to Jesus, what's then our hope? And quickly on that, if we only had our logic or typical religion, we might be tempted to say, well, it seems that our hope just somehow has to be in ourselves. We must somehow change our loves and somehow be people who come to the light and believe. But that's not our hope. And said, finally, the most important part of this verse and how this whole passage ends on purpose is with that so that clause in verse 21. This is where it all comes together. See it again. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so honestly, if you have some different translations on this verse, that last line of verse 21 there may read a bit different. I don't usually do this, but may read considerably different. And that's because some translations in English weirdly interpret this rather than just giving the actual translation of the words. Because just so you know, most literally, what the ending of verse 21 says here, and this is really important, is, quote, so that it may be seen or made clear that his works, that in God they have been worked. That's literally what the Greek says. Or better yet, since the word works and worked are just the generic word for doings and do in the original language, I personally think we should understand this best as so that it may be seen that one's doings whatever one does, that in God they have been done. Meaning, for those who come to the light, their doings are ultimately done in or by God, since in and by are the same word in the original language. That, that's exactly what the Bible says. And now, why does that matter? Well, because bringing that all together, this means that God here is saying in the last line of verse 21, and I think pretty clearly, I think he's saying this. Okay, so some people somehow stop hating the light and loving the darkness and do come to the light and love the light and continue to love the light. They're, they're Christians. And by God's grace, there's probably many of us in here. But how could that ever happen? Or technically, for what purpose does God have it happen like this? Well, it's all so that it can be clearly seen that that person's doings, including their coming to the light at all, that they've been done in and by God. That's the point. Some people do come to the light. They do practice the truth, meaning they believe in and follow Jesus. And if they do, the Bible is super clear that we all need to know it has ultimately been done in and by God. It's been carried out in God. And if you're tracking, that then is huge concerning what our hope is, church, what our hope is. And that really then brings this whole paragraph full circle because notice, just to state the obvious the word God here at the end of verse 21 is obviously the same word God as in John 
And so think of this paragraph. Think of the flow, almost the roller coaster that we've been through in this paragraph. So it starts with God loving the already condemned world in order to save us so that we may not perish but have eternal life. And we just believe it. Amen. But then the paragraph is clear that we in the world on our own, well, the judgment is we will not come to the light. We hate the light. We will not believe. But then the paragraph hints that, and yet there are some people who do come to the light. And who are they? Well, they're people who do the truth. They're living their life practicing what's true. But still, how does that ever happen? Does that mean that those people are somehow better off or figure this out on their own compared to those people who will not come to the light? Well, now we know, no. That is not true at all. Instead, the final part of this paragraph says, for those who do come to the light, for those who trust in Jesus and want to follow Jesus, we are no better off on our own. But instead, all of our doings have been done in God. (laughs) That's how the paragraph ends. Meaning in this paragraph, the same God who sent his son to accomplish salvation is the God who applies that salvation to individuals like us. He accomplished salvation in history in Jesus and he applies that salvation in our histories when he leads us to receive and believe and he's the one who keeps any of us coming to the light. Now if you hear anything this morning, that's what I hope it is. Because really, that's where this whole paragraph has been going and that means, just to be really clear, to answer our third and last question, to boil it all down, what we do see, church, is that God is our hope, God is our hope and God is the world's hope, church meaning our belief or the world just somehow believing technically is not our hope. God is our hope because God is the one who sent his son for salvation and God is the one who applies that salvation to darkness-loving sinners like you and me. Our hope is in God. Or or to say it another way, to say this using the persons of the Trinity, which is always so amazing because the Trinity is real, what we should know is that our hope, our trust, is in the Father who planned this salvation and in love decided to send the Son. Our hope and our trust is in Jesus, the Son of God, who decided to come, live, die, and rise, and he's coming back. But then also, and finally, our hope, our trust, is in God the Spirit as well who was sent from the Father, sent for the Son, from the Son, who is here among us all to personally apply that salvation to each one of us individually and to the world, all until Jesus comes back. Or finally, I say one last way, God so loved the world that he sent his only Son in history, and we need to know God so loves the world, present tense, right now, that he's the one doing in people to make them come to light and believe the gospel and to continue to live for him. It's of God. And both think about it. He, he provides what we need. Because first we were condemned and so Jesus came to save. But then also, even after Jesus came, we don't want him naturally. And so the Spirit came to provide what we need there as well. And that means that in it all, again, God is our hope. And in it all, that also means, church, that God gets the glory while we get the help. Make it super clear. God, Father, Son, Spirit, he gets the glory in accomplishing the gospel. And we all need to know God, Father, Son, Spirit, he gets the glory for any of us ever believing the gospel like John 3.16 tells us to. And he gets the glory for any of us continuing to try to follow Jesus. All because, as verse 21 says here, all of our coming to light, all of our doings, quote, have been clearly carried out in God. (laughs) And so that's John 3.16 through 21, church. In short, that's what God did in sending his son and that's how God applies that salvation to us and to others even right now. Which finally, just to be so clear in all this church, finally, I hope you know all that is to be encouraging. 
Overall, that is to be encouraging. Because I know if you're tracking, that means that sure, practically there may be some questions that have come into your mind and we should, in God's word, dive into those questions. But this being the case is really so clear here and elsewhere in the Bible and that's first, well, just because it is true. But then also it's because just think about it and making this practical, just think about it. Would you really want it to be any other way? Would you really want it to be under the way? Would you want your chances of ever accepting the gospel or would you want the hope for that person who you're thinking of right now, who you think may never come to know Jesus, would you want the ultimate hope to be in us or in them or in God? Would you really want it to come down to us or them or ultimately to come down to the same loving God who sent his son like we know from John 3.16? And the answer is we all know it. We want our ultimate hope, our ultimate reliance to be in God. Because he's the one, one last time, who accomplished the gospel. And the good news is, meaning part of the gospel is, which is why we're covering it during this understanding the gospel, part of the gospel is, and God is also the one who changes us from being haters of the light to coming to the light. <laughs> which finally, just to make this again practical for some of you in here, I do hope that maybe you feel that God might be changing and stirring your heart even right now for the first time in your life. He might be doing that. Or it also means, again, for us as Christians, we really should leave here giving God all the glory for our salvation from beginning to end. And then finally, concerning others, church, just know this really is the reason why we really should and can pray for others to God and why we should share the gospel with others as well. All because our hope and the people we love's hope and the world's hope is in God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.